Here we go. You're listening to Rumination Thursday, Law and Gospel, on this May the 13th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Wes Reimnitz. Hello, Wes. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm doing fine on this day for Pentecost. Is that what we're talking about? Give it another 10 days, huh? Oh, thank you. That's right. This <laughs> is a very important holy day for the Christian church. It's called the Ascension. And of the four congregations that I'm preaching at, only two of them have an Ascension service tonight. And the rest will be talking about Ascension a little bit on Sunday, which is the seventh Sunday of Easter. But I thought it would be important, and you found some good articles, that we can talk about the Ascension. Yeah, it's kind of a forgotten holiday nowadays uh, on, the, on the church calendar. Uh, but you're, you're right, it's one of the very important ones that uh, talks about it. It's, it's a little different than the resurrection, isn't it? Yes. Explain what the ascension, the events of it from Acts chapter 1. What happened? Well, Acts chapter 1, he takes them up to to uh, a mountain, and uh, he talks about uh, restoring the kingdom. And uh, when will that happen? And, and he says, it's not for us to... to know the times of the Father, which at that time, according to his human nature, he, he didn't. But, uh, but the Holy Spirit, they were to wait till the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then he tells them that they should be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And as, as he's saying that, he's being lifted up into the clouds, and then a couple of angels asked them, why are they staring, and the way you saw him go is the way he will return. Yes, and so he ascended into heaven. One of the articles you found were difficulties in interpreting Jesus' ascension, and I want to remind you what we talked about on Tuesday with Mark Smith we took a look at the hymn for the ascension, Up Through Endless Ranks of Angels. It was written by Yaroslav Vodja, uh, who died in 2008. And he wrote this at the request of Augsburg Publishing House. They wanted mm. a text to set to the tune that they already have. Now, what is stated though it's a wonderful hymn, the first appearance of the text, he had up through endless ranks of angels and the Augsburg Publishing House people changed the word up to there, T-H-E-R-E. -E. And they reported to Yaroslav the reason for that was to avoid the three-tiered universe imagery. And when I read that, I wasn't sure what they were talking about until I read the first paragraph of this article you sent me, Difficulties mm -hmm. Interpreting Jesus' Ascension. 
Well, would you kind of read what uh, that individual talks about, that first well, paragraph? He, and the ascension of Jesus and the, and the four other individuals, which I, I searched the scriptures and I couldn't find four other ascensions, only two other mentioned in the Bible who ascended and prophesied to make sense of that. They lived in in a, a being more or less the shape of a flat earth, columns supported by the earth in the abyss. That there well, was you, you missed the, the second sentence. They lived uh, in a pre-scientific culture and believed in the three-story view uh, of cosmology. Now go ahead and explain what that is as he goes on. Well, they viewed the earth as being more or less the shape of a flat dish. Columns supported the earth above the abyss, and there was the underside... as a rigid firmament above the earth, and the angels pushed the sun, the moon, the planets along the underside of the uh, of the firmament, firmament during day and night. Heaven, heaven was located above the firmament. Floodgates in the form of windows allowed God to pour water on the earth in the form of rain. And with this concept of the universe, it made a lot of sense that if Jesus was to return to God, he would have to ascend from the earth through the air towards heaven. So that was a pretty good explanation of what some people consider the three-story view of cosmology. The earth is flat. Above them are the angels who push the sun, moon, and planets along the underside of the firmament of the earth during night and day. And in heaven was located above that. And so he has the opinion that that's why they said that Jesus ascended into heaven, but he makes it clear that that isn't correct. And the first reason he disagrees with that is, what was that? Individuals simply do not rise into the, the air. Yeah, individuals simply do not rise into the air, at least not further than they can jump unless they're pulled up by some kind of a mechanism. So that's why he disagrees with the events recorded in the Bible that it's impossible for anybody to ascend into heaven because the highest they can go is only as high as they can jump. Right. Well, the person writing this is, 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 I don't believe, is Christian, and in uh, correct, they're they're portraying Christianity as one kind of religion over and against other religions and, and science itself. So, I think we're we're going to run into somebody here that's just, you know, is just uh, scientifically impossible for that to happen. Yeah, that's a really good point you're making, is that many scholars today uh, have the false religion of scientism, and that's not really proper science. It's a a view that everything said in the Bible, miraculous, has to have a rational scientific explanation. And, And so I remember when I was at the seminary, 
they were talking about the uh, individual that Jesus had taken the demons out of, put them in pigs, and the pigs ran over the hill and drowned in the water. And we were told that what really happened is that this man was an epileptic. He went into a seizure, seizure, and that scared the pigs and made them run over the hill and drown. And so once more, they were giving a rational reason from their point of view as to what happened rather than the true events. Well, well, and I think that's what this article tries to do. It tries to rationalize how under man's thinking this possibly cannot happen. Yes, the second reason, after he says nobody can rise into the air, they can only jump, he says a person ascending a few miles into the air would die from lack of oxygen. <laughs> well, they're viewing Christ just only as a man. If he's God and man, that's not going to be a problem. But uh, there's still... It's looking at heaven as a physical location somewhere up there in the skies. Yes. Um, he said, heaven isn't up there, nor is hell under the earth. But that that's what the three-story view of cosmology thought. But we don't believe that either, that if you can get above uh, the atmosphere, you're in heaven. I remember when the first Soviet cosmonaut was in a spaceship. That's one of the things he said after he ascended through the atmosphere. He said, guess what? I'm not in heaven. There is no heaven. And so they had a three-story view of cosmology also. Yeah, well, it also reminds me of, of how you talked about the creation of the earth, that uh, when God created the stars, in the sky, and they say it takes millions of light years for that light to come here. It was, it came exactly at the time that God spoke and created the heavens. Yes, that's why scientism is a different religion and produce what we call evolution, because they take things, they know what the speed of light is, they know how far these stars are, and so they try and calculate, well, the creation of the world must have been taken millions of years ago just because the light can't reach it. And that is using speculation, scientism. And I tell you, people who believe in evolution uh, are, are denying the clear word of God that it was a six-day, 24-hour creation and everything was uh, created. Remember, as soon as Adam and Eve were created, they were told not to eat of the fruit of a certain tree. So trees already were in existence with their fruit on them. And it didn't take years for that to occur. But that's a, a good thing you brought up. Right. And, and uh, uh, oh, it slipped my mind. Well, one of these solutions, and this is what the article is talking about, he considers these difficulties, namely that anybody can rise into the air, etc. So he uses a so-called theologian by the name of Marcus Borg, and he says, we need to abandon, abandon 
the literal interpretation of the gospel stories of the ascension and interpret them symbolically. So what does he mean by that? Well, symbolically, it's, 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 it's if it happened, but uh, you didn't really kind of kind of see it happen. Yeah, it didn't happen the way the Bible explains it happening. And they were just talking that way, making up the ascension in order to try and make the point that Jesus is at uh, God's right hand. And therefore, the claim that they're making is that Jesus is Lord, which means the Herods and Caesars of this world are not the Lord and were not the Lord. Now, that's a correct conclusion about the Herods and Caesars, but you don't have to deny the actual experience that the disciples saw to deny that Herod and Caesar is God. No, Jesus is. Right. Yeah, I think that's an important point to the, the historical part. And that's what I brought up earlier about the resurrection. They didn't need a witness to see the resurrection. They, they When Christ appeared to them again, and witness to them again, to to the disciples, and later to to hundreds, that he was uh, alive. The ascension is one of those where they bodily see him go into the heavens. And then he says, uh, the angel says, "I'm going to tell you that he's going to return in the same way," and that's referring to Judgment Day. Right. Now, we know, as you said, that this gentleman is not a Christian because this paragraph here, if Jesus' family tomb is ever found, as has been claimed in the 2007 documentary, Christians who believe that Jesus did not literally rise through the air to heaven would have fewer difficulties understanding the ascension. So what he's saying, if you can find the body of Jesus in the grave, then these people who can't believe that he rose into heaven would have fewer difficulties with the ascension, realizing that the disciples made up the story just to make a point that Jesus is Lord over all. You know, it, it kind of does scripture all together, the seven-day creation uh, Adam and Eve, uh, all the way through to the birth of Christ and his suffering and death upon the cross, as if none of those things ever happened, is, is really what they're saying. Yes, he tries to back up everything he's saying by turning to the beliefs of the United Pentecostal Church that teach oneness theology. What's the difference between oneness theology and what we believe in Trinitarian theology? Well, oneness theology is, well, another term is Jesus' name theology uh, or Jesus only. They, they reject the belief that the Trinity that is common among other Christian groups. Yes. They believe the oneness that God does not 
consists of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they teach that God exists in three different roles or modes or functions. He's only one. And in the Old Testament, he was God the Father. In the New Testament, he is Jesus the Son during his interval on earth until he died. And the Holy Spirit is the same God since Jesus' ascension to the present time. So they're all just one person appearing in three different modes. That's what's called oneness theology. Well, it's interesting that they picked out one group out of Christianity to, to talk about that, because as I read through that in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it kind of undoes the uh, New Testament baptism of Christ, does it not? Where the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased, and the Spirit comes down as a dove, and then Jesus himself, where we get the, the Trinity there at the baptism. Well, our listeners need to realize that there are many so-called pastors who use this method, who believe that there's very little true history in the Bible, and all of this stuff was made up in order to make a point. They call it a mythical point. And so in when Israel left Egypt, however they got out of there, they went through the Reed Sea, which they were able to walk through. There was no dividing of waters or anything. But Israel made up the story that there was a huge wall of water on each side, and the ground was dry uh, through the river. And then when the Egyptians tried to follow them, guess what? The water came down and killed them. None of that is true. Yeah. It all is just pointing to a myth that God is powerful, more powerful than the gods of Egypt. But to say that any of that really happened is ridiculous. And doesn't the, the New Testament, uh, what is it, in Timothy, where it talks about that they, they get into endless myths and stories that they want to tickle their ears with? Well said. Yeah, that's an exact verse that talks about not using the myths. Now, he uses one from Mark 16, verse 19. He says, this verse presents problems to both the oneness people and the Trinitarian theologians. It says, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And here's what he says about it. This cannot be interpreted literally by oneness theologians because it implies that God the Father and Jesus are simultaneously existing. And it cannot be interpreted literally by Trinitarians because it implies that God the Father and Jesus are two separate entities with physical bodies. And then the solution is to interpret Jesus' ascension symbolically. Now, how does he get the idea that God the Father 
has a physical body from that verse? Uh, I'm not, other than he goes back to, to that the throne is, is, is by like one of the Caesars or something like that. That's the only thing I could consist of, but he, he again is, uh, talking about uh, his, his own symbolism of trying to rationalization, I should say, in terms of coming up with uh, how he sees the ascension. Well, he uses the verse, Mark sixteen nineteen, and Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And because it says that, God must have a right hand, therefore he must have a body. And that's why he says the Trinitarians can't accept that verse. But when we hear about the right hand of God, we're not hearing that God has a body. What does it refer to about the right hand of God? Well, the the power that exists that the Father gives to to the Son. Um, You see that in Genesis with uh, Joseph where he was given the right hand of the Pharaoh. And uh, everything that uh, that uh, Pharaoh had a power was given to to uh, Joseph to carry out uh, the will of the Pharaoh of the country. Yeah, you you could say for a blind person, they may have a dog that helps them walk around, and they would not have any problem. That that's kind of like my right hand because he's leading me to safety takes me across the street when there are no cars coming, etc. These are well-trained dogs. And when you say that he's my right hand, you're not referring, oh, so your dog is a human being? <laughs> he has a right hand? No, it's a, a phrase. It, it's like when a boxer is fighting and it says he leads with his right. That means he leads with his stronger fist which could be his left or his right. It's just referring that that is his stronger wrist. And as you said, Jesus is at the right hand of God because he is, according to Daniel 7, the son of man that God the Father sent into the world. And you read in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that he worked in Christ Jesus and raised him from the dead and seated him at the right at his right hand in the heavenly places, uh, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion of every name that is named in this age and the one to come. For he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you, you see it there, and is powerful and rules this church from there. So what we wanted to do today in taking a look at the ascension is show you that this is certainly something that is historic, but there are a number of people, many of them non-Christians, who don't believe that this ever happened. So they're trying to interpret it symbolically just as they interpret all of the Bible in so- symbolically. Even the cross of Christ, they'll say something like, well, what the cross of Christ shows us is not that he died for our sins, but he gave us an example 
of how we are to suffer for others. And so they turn the cross into a kind of a social uh, kind of a teaching rather than the theological teaching of justification by grace through faith. Mm. And as we as we look at, at the ascension, it's also what we call the beginning of the end, is it not? We're, we're in the latter days of, of the earth, and all these things we see happening around us are signs of Christ's second coming. Yes, and a lot of churches have what's called the Christ candle, and depending on your pastor, I've talked to a number of them, uh, some have it from, they have it on Advent until the Ascension, and at the Ascension, it's taken out because they're making the point that Christ now, he's still with us, but he's with us in heaven, and we're there also with him at the right hand of God. And one church that I'm familiar with, as they're reading the gospel for the Ascension service, another pastor who's not reading the gospel goes over to the Christ candle and extinguishes it. I was giving some thought about doing that at the church as I'm going to, but I haven't made up my mind yet. Have you ever heard of anything like that? Uh, something similar to that, but... Uh... Some celebrate the Christ candle by going out Good Friday outside the church, and then in Easter vigil they bring it back in and then and let it uh, light until ascension. Yeah, that's also uh, a good practice. Uh, I was at a congregation where on Good Friday they took out the Christ candle, but then they brought it back in on Good Friday at the end of the service. And, really? Uh, yeah. But I, I think it, it's better to keep it until Sunday. All right. Thank you very much. We wanted to share with you what other people are thinking of the Ascension. If you have an opportunity to attend a worship service, we encourage you to do so. And on tomorrow, on Open Mic Friday, you can email me if you have any questions and we'll be dealing with some that I have ready to talk to. I'm Tom Baker, Wes Reinitz. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.